You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Hard to beat. Love it. Sometimes I just go on and on and on. You know, if we had evidence that we got more money in the offering after a long message, we'd stop preaching and let the message go, let the offering message. But now that was awesome, Darren. That was cool. That was really, really good. You know, I was recently, I guess months ago, thinking and praying about our vision and our future. And it was, it was kind of different in, in lots of ways. And I sensed the Lord saying, it's time. You saw the graphic go up. It's time. It was just that simple. It's time for growth and it's time for influence. And we've talked about this for years and years. Time for growth, time for influence. But in a real tangible way, it is time for this. And the Lord immediately took me to the Gospel of John chapter 15. You can take your analog version of the Bible, as Pastor Simeon calls it, and go to John 15 if you want to, or it will be on the screen for you. But as Jesus is talking to his 11, because Judas had left during this period, well, he was there probably for the first verse, I'm going to flash up, but he left. He's literally saying, you know, God is glorified. It's his will. Verse 8 says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And I, I believe it's time to go beyond just a little bit of fruit here and there and a little bit of fruit there, you know, and that we go to the place where it is much fruit, And then down to verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, I can tell you from a pastoral point of view and a staff point of view and a board point of view that, um, you know, our heart breaks when we see fruit take place and then all of a sudden it's gone in a short period of time. We've seen people come and go. We've seen people make decisions and not, not stick with it. We've seen people give up on God and all kind of things. And, you know, you, you don't just sit there and go, oh, well, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our heart within us gets grieved. It gets broken. I don't know if you know, but the heart of God is grieved when things go wrong. He, he feels this. He senses this. So he chooses us. He, he appoints us. He... he empowers us to go and to bear fruit. Now, here's the deal. I don't think it's possible to bear fruit without going. Sitting still, the only fruit sitting still bears is what's called dry rot. The roots begin to rot. The tree is dying. The, The nature of God, even from the beginning, is that he goes and approaches us for the fruit to come out of it. He didn't wait for man to approach him. He approached man. And I want you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And I want us to believe in everything that God is doing. This is going to be a fruit that will continue on and continue on and continue on. Because in this season of the vision, we believe God has prepared us for a time of bearing fruit. We prayed over this, believe this, and it's going to manifest in growth and influence. Growth both personally and corporately. There goes some of the fruit running across the back of the building. Yeah, your fruit. Right. They're on the move, yeah. But it's time for growth both personally and corporately, but it's time for influence by individuals and the church. It's time for you to bear fruit in your workplace. It's time for you where you're at to believe. God wants you to be a fruit bearer where you are at, where you live, where you work. It doesn't all happen. You know, the word go doesn't mean for them to go and come here. 
So many people do that. Kevin Costner, here's my first movie reference, Darren, from the Field of Dreams. You know, he, the, the voice that kept telling him, build it and they will come. Out in the middle of nowhere, he built a baseball stadium. And so all of a sudden, ghosts of, previous, of past baseball players came out of the cornfields to play baseball and crowds came from everywhere. Where in the world they came from, I don't know. And so people have now prophesied that, build the church and they will come. I just don't see that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say build a building and they will come. The Bible says you get going and they will believe. As a matter of fact, Christianity didn't even have buildings for 400 years. Isn't that interesting? Oh, we don't have a home. Well, the church didn't have one for 400 years. Go figure. Anyway, he says, go and bear fruit. Go do it individually. And I want to launch us into, into the vision month with a passage of scripture that's that our vision's been founded upon for 19 plus years. By the way, our vision never changes. We've kind of taken a leaf out of the book that vision describes who we are. That never changes. Um, There are many words for vision, purpose, mission, but we have taken the leaf out of the book that the vision says that we are a life-giving church empowered by the Spirit to influence our city for the kingdom of God. We've had that since 1999. What does change, however is the outworking of that vision in different seasons, in different years, in different ways. You can call that mission. Vision is what is who we are. Mission is what we do. And we've just come out of a season, a mission, a part of the vision called victory emerging, and things happened that we couldn't even have seen or predicted, where God just began changing us from the inside out. But it came at a cost because we felt like in John 15 we're getting pruned for this to happen. Now, you know if you ever prune trees. Who has rose bushes at home? I don't because I didn't prune them. That's true. I didn't prune them. And you know what happened? They grew and grew and grew, but they stopped growing roses. That's what happens. No fruit. We're like that. So God prunes us. You know the word pruning in John 15 is the same word cleansing? Where he says, but you are already clean through the word I spoke to you. Or it could say this, but you have already been pruned through the things I have been telling you. Hmm. Like saying, you don't need that anymore. Let's cut that off. That's stopping you from growing more fruit. And so in this season, we believe this season um, is saying it's time. It's time for growth and it's time for influence and we're moving into a season uh, where that's going to happen like we, we probably couldn't even see or predict or ever done before, which is incredible. And so the chapter in Isaiah 54 where we started preaching vision back in, I think you guys, had you come or just came after? Were you there in 99 when I preached that? 97. Wow. I know you got, well, Gabby wasn't there, but you were there. I think I just met Kate and Tim at the end of 99? November 99, I think we met. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I remember that too. Wow. That's pretty bad when you just go, I remember when. Anyway. So in Isaiah chapter 54, now, I I, I was getting myself ready for this month of vision. So I thought, I'm going to read through the book of Isaiah, one of the prominent prophets in history. And I got about four chapters in and got depressed. And thought, stuff a duck, how stupid are these people? It's like God has given them every chance in the world and they keep becoming faithless, unfaithful. So he takes them away into captivity. 
And he calls them everything. You're dead, you're this, you're that. I'm going to do away with you. And I'm going, what a father. And then all of a sudden you see woven through the chapters of Isaiah these chapters of hope. Uh, forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. I'm making streams in a desert place. Where was the desert place? In their hearts. Isaiah chapter 54 is talking to the people of God like a barren woman. You have no fruit. In their understanding, to be a barren woman was to be cursed by God. Mm -hmm. If you can't have children, then God doesn't like you. He's cursed you. And so they are, they are sensing they are like a barren woman who has no, no fruit out of their life that anything good is coming out of this. See, that's chapter 54 or leading into chapter 54. Now, don't you find it interesting before chapter 54 is chapter 53? Isn't that, isn't that intelligent? It's like, stupid is as stupid does. Me and Matt know about that kind of talk, don't we? Yep, Mom always said, he's an Arkansas boy. Ozark, through and through. No, no, no. Look, I know the, the divisions weren't there originally, but I want you to think about it for a minute. Chapter 54 is God saying, I'm going to take you from barrenness to fruitfulness. Even though you don't see it, you don't deserve it, and you don't think it's ever going to happen to you, I'm going to do this for you. But isn't it interesting, the chapter before isn't a doom and gloom one. What is chapter 53? The suffering servant, the Savior, the Messiah. By his stripes, you are healed. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. Now, here's what he says. He says, chapter 54 can happen because chapter 53 secured it. You are going to become fruitful with much that you can't even think about because I have made it possible and secured it through what I did at the cross, which is an amazing thing. So what God promises, God secures. Okay, so let's go to chapter 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. It's an incredible scripture. I call this the faith element. Okay? This is the place where God says, I know you don't deserve it. I know you can't even wrap your brain around this because you're in a place of, of, of wilderness and barrenness and even feeling like you're punished. But I'm saying to you right now, I have secured the possibility for you to be abundantly fruitful. So start singing. You know, it's interesting. Think of most of our Christian songs. Most of our songs sing about what God has done. Isn't that true, Todd? Can you think of any that starts declaring what he is about to do? There's only a few that talk about it, and they're usually around the second coming. And they're usually done by southern people in America who long for the sweet by and by, the, you know, the big pine, the sweet by and by, can't wait to see mama kind of thing. It's, they're just soppy songs. They paint heaven like this big homecoming dinner with your relatives. It's far more than that. What about songs? Break forth into singing and shout it aloud because you're about to have things happen that you couldn't even have imagined, God is saying. Because the faith element says this, every vision is energized and realized by faith. If a vision is doable just by planning and hard work, we're no different than any other company. Listen, and then there's no reason to trust God because we can just do it naturally with our resources. 
And in the natural, there are many things. I want you to think about this. There are many things in the natural that tell us this is impossible. They tell us that the day of the church is over. That the trends that are happening now say the day of the church is historical, not future. It's a, it's a big dinosaur in society. And it's, it's dying off. And they tell us that the church in Australia is, is dying off. And that's because they're looking at some circumstances in the natural. They're not looking at what God said in the spiritual he's about to do. I don't buy into this theology, and I'm sorry if you do. God bless you, cotton socks. But I don't buy into this theology of the doomsday kind of prophet that the world is going to end on the bad and the church is going to get, the church will escape. I hate this escapism theology. We're not meant to escape. We're meant to rise up and conquer. Now, here's the deal. There's enough evidence in Revelation for an end-time harvest like the world has never seen. There are millions, if not billions, of people yet to be swept into the kingdom. I don't call that ending on a bad note, right? So the deal is this. Our faith rise up within us regardless of what's happening around in society that says, oh, it's the day of the church is over. It's a dead day. If there ever was a day where the church was doomed, it was in about 33 A.D. in Jerusalem when the leader of the church was just assassinated. And yet in the hardest city on the planet, a church was born and it exploded. And it influenced the city. Like they say before Titus sacked, wasn't it Titus? Yeah, Titus sacked Jerusalem that more than a third of the city had come into Christianity. And that's less than 40 years. More than a third of the city had been swept. Now you've got to remember, they were anti-Christ. Now all of a sudden, more than a third of them are pumped with being Christian. If God can do it then, he can do it again. Right? That's the, that's the future song do it again. Right? Got it? So here's the deal. You know what happens? The faith element, because faith hears it first. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what God says. That's what it does. And this is the most important part. When we hear God speak, it creates faith. We know that God has said something. What, what happens is we give, we give the Holy Spirit fertile ground. The more we kind of saturate our soul with this, the Word of God, and we get it into our soul, and it is sitting in there like a big deposit and a reservoir, when something happens, the Holy Spirit just kind of digs in and brings out the best, even when you don't have a Bible with you. I had that happen last night. I told Central Campus, and it didn't dawn on me. Till this morning when I was up and I was kind of going through everything and praying. At 2.30 this morning, I tried to go to bed early so I could be fresh for today. 2.30 this morning, my phone goes off. And I'm gone. If, if we get phone calls like that at 2 or 3 in the morning, it's usually something has happened to a relative in America. So it's one of these emergency calls. You need to get here. They're dying or they've died. And so all of a sudden I looked at my phone and it's my father. Now, if you know the story, I've been, I was estranged with my father for decades until reconciled by what the, the work of freedom by the Spirit. And it was my father and he wanted to FaceTime. And I'm, I can barely see, you know. And then it goes off. And so I immediately texted him, is something wrong? It's 2.30 in the morning here. Are, are you needing me for something? No response. Janet says to me, are you going to be able to go back to sleep? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. 
Now, normally, in the natural, I can't go to sleep after. I mean, I'm not a good sleeper anyway. These guys will tell you, I sleep average about four hours a night. And, uh, and it's not because I like work, I can tell you that. Um, and so I'm laying there, and I reflected on, and I, I'm not a person who gets vivid dreams, okay? I'm not, I'm not a dreamer. I, I'm, I'm too pragmatic. I had a dream right before that, and it was crystal clear. I saw us in a new building. And I saw us in the office part of the building, but I saw us in the inner part of the office with, um, you know, where the pastors meet and nobody else can come in. And I remember turning to look, and there was a man dressed nicely. He was youngish, sitting down, and he was looking at me. But he was looking at me with the dirtiest look. And all of a sudden, I realized this is no man. This is a demon. And so I go over and start casting this demon out. And here's the weirdest part. I turn and look, and there's this little old lady coming in through the main door of the inner sanctum office. Now, I've recognized her before. Don't worry, it's none of you. <laughs> if you're over 50, relax. It wasn't you. And I realize she's coming in, and I'm stopping her going, you can't come in right now. There's something going on here. And I try to push her out the door, and I turn around, and the man's gone. Just disappeared. And I went... And I turned to look, and the old lady had come back in behind me and was doing something, and something that was wrong. And I looked at her, and all of a sudden, she was demonic. And at that moment, my phone rang. Bop, woke me up out of that dream. And I, I was actually breathing hard, thinking, I'm kind of glad the phone did ring, because I didn't want to see where this was going. And when I laid down and Janet said, can you go back to sleep? I've got the dream thing happen. I've got the phone happening. Has anything gone wrong with family in the States? You know what happened? As I lay there just for a few minutes and took a few breaths, the Holy Spirit went into the reservoir. Scriptures just started coming. Whoa. Man, I slept like a baby Come from 2.30 to 5 o'clock. This is what happens. Faith comes by hearing the Word. He takes that word and he quickens it into our hearts and minds. You know what happens though when you hear it? Then you begin to see it. Faith sees it. Listen to me. Faith sees what nobody else sees. It, it, it begins even long before it materializes. Faith says, I see that. It's going to happen. God has spoken. He enables us to see the unseen. You know you can't be a Christian without this happening? Did you know that? You, you can't really call yourself a Christian without seeing the unseen. Now, I'm not talking about hallucina hallucinations. That's for us from the 70s. <laughs> we flew through the 70s without plane tickets. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is this. Think about it for a minute. Somewhere along the line, you heard about Jesus Christ. And something begins to happen in your heart and mind called trusting in God. That he loves you. He gave his son for you. His son died on a cross so that you can be reconciled to the Father. And you're hearing this, and trust rises up, and then all of a sudden you see it. Oh my God, he did it for me. And you see the cross where the Son of God died. And then you see heaven. I'm not talking about get one of these weird visions. I'm talking about you see the place where the Son of God is there on your behalf, constantly interceding for you and, and doling down blessings to you from heaven. Every, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And it's, it's, it's a seeing. And, and you know what? That's how we're meant to live our Christian life, not just the beginning, but all the way through. We keep hearing and seeing, hearing and seeing. And people go, I don't get it. And you go, of course you don't. Because I trust God. So I get it. I see it. I might not understand everything, but faith sees. You know, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Don't you find that weird? It sounds like oxymoron. Evidence unseen? Where's the evidence? I know there's about at least three billion proofs around the world that Jesus Christ is real. You know what they're called? Christians. There's your evidence. I don't know if you've ever read anything by uh, Josh McDowell, great thinker of the day from 70s up to now, wrote a book called uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and he wrote a great book we try to give to university students to read called More Than a Carpenter, where he, he, he writes chapter after chapter about, Jesus, about proof, how Jesus, you know, science can't disprove him, history can't disprove him, this can't disprove him, arguments, so-called contradictions in Scripture can't disprove him. And he gets to his last chapter. Now, everybody who's written a book knows the last chapter is the crowning chapter. That's where you save your best argument. And guess what his last chapter is called? I know he's real because he changed my life. There's your evidence. Billions of lives across the planet who've been changed because they heard and they saw what Jesus did for them. And they believed and they trusted. And it tells us, we begin to see it long before in the spirit, before we see it in the natural. Let me give you an example. October the 1st, 1971. Um, five years after the great Walt Disney died, Disney World was opened. And it was having its opening ceremony, grand opening. And during the dedication ceremony, someone turned to Mrs. Walt Disney and they said to her, isn't it a shame that Walt didn't live to see this? Mrs. Disney just quickly replied and said, oh, he did. That's why it's here. There you go. That's not even a Christian thing. That's a theme park for heaven's sakes. Our faith, I'm telling you, our faith sees a life-giving church that, that's growing, that's influencing, where people are being added to daily like the early church and they're being saved. That's what our faith sees. I don't care what the world says that people aren't interested. I'm telling you, God says that the harvest is white. So that's what we see. But you know, faith doesn't just hear it. Faith doesn't just see it. Faith speaks it. What are we saying? What are we speaking out there? This becomes a crucial part. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is me being transparent. I, I'm, I'm careful about being transparent because I have been before in the pulpit, and when people get mad at me, they use it against me. You said, nah, nah, nah. I'm going, wow. You know how to dig it in, don't you? So I'm going to be honest with you right now. This is an area that I struggle with because I tend to analyze too much. I'm a thinker, I analyze, and so I usually go, yeah, but what if? Two of the phrases that, you know, Janet constantly pulls me up. I know my wife is like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> pulls me up. Does she do that to you? Never? Okay. You're better than I am. And I have to remind myself, hang on, hang on, stop focusing on what is and start declaring what will be. Come on. Now, I'm not advocating a name it and a, 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 what do you call it? Name it and claim it practice. I'm not talking about that. You know, oh, if I say it enough, I'll get it. 
No, no. But I love what Pastor Phil says. Let's put this up on the screen for you. Pastor Phil says this. The scripture, here we go. Josh, do I have it? Did you? We put it in there, didn't we? It should be. Go down again. What's your next slide? There, that's it. Yep. The scripture does not say you get what you say. It declares you will get what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Just let that sink in for a minute. Just because I claim it doesn't mean I get it. But if I hear it and I believe it and I confess it, I've already got it even before it's in my hand. Okay? And I believe that God has spoken to us about our growth and influence. I still believe. I remember. I remember the vision God gave me a number of years ago. I remember preaching at Victory. And it was this massive auditorium with a sloping floor. And it was just filled with young people. And it was so real to me that I'm looking at this against all trends and all kind of things where people say it's not common for this to happen. I remember turning and looking back this way as if God were behind me and all these people were taking notes and they had their Bibles open and I said, pinch me as if it wasn't real. And I'm still believing and hanging on to that vision that victory for its future, it will be and it already is in God's economy far more than what you or I could imagine. Far more. It's going to, even if it takes place beyond my time, I'm okay with that. I've spoken that out time and again. I can remember at Wyla. Oh, God love the prophets. Don't you love them? Um, you know, when, when prophets do this kind of thing to me, I want to stone the prophets, not the crows. Um, and they give you this word. God loves you, but he's going to strip you bare of everything. In your, oh, thanks for coming. You know, um, and I got one of these words. I was still at Wyla. This was 23. Four years ago or something saying, oh, Keith, you've got the heart of a warrior. You are like King David. And I'm going, sweet, love it. You're going to shed blood for the kingdom of God and open door. Great. And, it, and then comes the three-letter word you hate, but. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. But you don't have the spirit of Solomon. You will not build the big house. But your sons will. At that moment, I thought, hmm. I felt like I wanted to be Jonah and go, well, stuff you. If that's what you think about it, stuff you. I didn't leave my side of the world and my family just to shed blood for somebody who's going to live off the fat of the land. <laughs> yeah, but God says, declare what I said will be. Speak with faith, not what used to be, not what even could be, but what will be. Faith hears it, sees it, and speaks it. Let's go to verse 2, chapter 54. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them. Everybody say them. I'm just checking if you're awake. That's a little bit weak. Say them. That's better. You're waking up. I'll get you one way or the other. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. This is what I call the them factor, which is a funny thing. The them factor. Uh, See, here's the deal. A vision is never done in a vacuum. There's always a context, a context that involves our history, where we have come from, a context of what's happening in us and with us right now. But then there is the vision that we see for tomorrow. And it all ties together. It's not done in a vacuum. Oh, awesome. Vision. No. No. There's a lot that leads to it and a lot that follows it. But while it's never done in a vision, let me say this too. A vision never happens alone. There's always an effect 
and an involvement on them. And there is this effect on them. While our vision, and, and people sit back and they kind of judge the church. All right, let me hear your vision. This will determine whether I stick around or not. And while a vision affects those inside the church, by nature, a vision should have a, a tremendous effect on those outside the church. Right. Listen to me. It's not just about us in our little buildings. Right. It's about a world that God loves. And... and, and our vision is letting them, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the needs of the community who need purpose, who need life, who need God, them, they determine our vision. Let me, yeah, let them, the needs of the community, grow our vision. Last week we talked about securing the building at Hopeton Street. That's funny, the place went quiet. Let's put the picture up of Hopeton Street. Now, we've got the whole building. The place went silent. Shh. Quiet. Even this morning, they're quiet. And I'm going, right. And I think people are sitting going, what are we going to use it for? What, what, why have we got that? Can we fit church in there? You know what my comment is? No. But church can certainly do a lot of things out of there. Right. I'm not trying to squeeze church into that little building. I'm trying to have a center where church does things in and through that building to serve the community. Now, here's the, here's the thing. It enables us to not only fulfill our previous leg of the vision of being multi-site. We operate out of eight sites now per week in our ministries across this city. Um, we have a footprint in the CBD of Charlestown, which is the central of the whole Newcastle area. I don't know if you know that. But Charlestown is the Chatswood of Newcastle. And, and it's, been, it's even been called that by the secular world. Where, where people flow to and through to get things and to do things. And we have a footprint there where we can be a church for the community, a place where we serve the community. Now, every week, uh, every other week, sorry, every second week, I've been praying with pastors in the city, in my area of the city, since 1996, that long. Um, so on Thursday, we had our prayer meeting. So they came to our center I usually pray upstairs, you know, where we had prayer meeting and stuff sometimes. I said, come with me. Took them downstairs, unlocked them, walked in. Said, this is now ours. This is part of our vision. And I'm telling you, they got more excited than you did. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Because they have journeyed with me for decades. And they went through the tough journey of all of a sudden no buildings. And then they went through the tough journey of all of a sudden God's wrecking you from the inside out, Keith. And, and, and my comeback, they've walked with me through that. And they have prayed with me for years about where God was going to put our footprint. And one of them stood there and said, Keith, I don't know if you remember this, but about five years ago, when you first started talking about moving, or even longer than that, first started talking about moving off Fraser Parade, I stood in our prayer meeting and I prophetically declared that God was going to give you a place in the Charlestown area that will be prominent and where, to, where it will be ministry flowing out of and it will be for the city, for the community. And he said, this is it. It's funny what them see. Bad grammar, but I love them. Because, see, letting them enlarge the place of our tent isn't just about an effect on them outside. It's also an effect by them inside. Listen to me. Not just what they see, but it's what we now do. You know what the prophet said? Let them stretch the tent. Sorry. Movie example again. I just got to be at home with Darren. But have you seen this one? Hildalgo. 
Oh my goodness. Anybody? How good is that movie? Based on a true story. It's the story of a half-breed American Indian who was a, a courier for the U.S. Army, uh, and he rode a little Mustang. I don't know if you know about horses, but the, the Mustangs are small horses, whereas the Arabian uh, stallions are very big. And so the Mustangs... Uh, basically, I think originally from Spain, came from Europe, brought to America. Americans didn't even, uh, sorry, original Americans, the Indians, didn't even have horses. And when the Europeans first brought them to America, they didn't know what to call them. They didn't have a name for it. So in their language, they called horses Big Dog. And this movie is about a horse called Hidalgo and the rider. And this Bedouin, this nomad in Saudi Arabia challenges him to a race that goes across the Arabian sands. Many die in the race. And he had heard about this horse in America, this little Mustang, multicolored, or as they called it, a multi-painted horse, that would race and race after race and beat all the big ones. And so this, this Bedouin in his big tents in the desert said, sent his guys, go to America and bring him back because we've got to beat this guy. Let him race in our race. Um, and it was interesting, in one part of the movie, he's standing in his tent, and I'm talking a big tent, and he snaps his fingers. And all of a sudden, the people in the tent, whoever they were, started rolling up the curtains of the tent, and you could see so much as they stretched out the curtains of the tent. Let them stretch the curtains of your tent. And stretching, see, stretching can't just be to meet the needs of people. That's reaction. Stretching also has to be vision that includes action that is planned, that is passionate by those who are already inside the tent. Imagine the sons of the Bedouin stretching out the curtains so you can see far beyond the containment that they're in because they have a vision of their future beyond those walls. And this is what the prophet is saying. Let them, let your descendants... You know, there is something prophetic in verse 3 that says, your descendants will... Your children, your children's children will. They're going to they're gonna inhabit desolate cities and take over nations. Now, you know what the prophet is seeing now? He's not just talking about the Holy Land and Palestine. He is looking throughout creation and history and saying, there is a movement called the church that's going to take cities. Let them stretch out the place of your tent. And you know what's happening in this season? People with dreams and visions are going to enlarge the place of our tent. It's going to be generational. And it's going to stretch us as they lengthen the cords out further. Man, we're going to feel stretched. Golly, do that. And Janet and I are going to continue to just drive the stakes deep, keep the tent stable. It was interesting. The Bedouin didn't go stretch the curtain tents. The people around him did. Let them. So here's what's happening. And we're not going to tell you everything today, but here's what's happening. We're, we're actually preparing and structuring staff for different things. Them. We're getting them ready for this. And what it does, number one, it releases me and Janet to operate as senior ministers over the whole of Victory Ministries. Not just at Central Campus, but over the whole of Victory Ministries. Not just leading one of the campuses. You know, it enables us to lead with a, with a kind of the apostolic fathering and mothering heart to see our descendants possess cities and nations. We talked about this all the way back in 1999. We talked about this five-fold ministry and, and this five-fold team. I think we've got a diagram of that. Josh, can we put... Yeah. 
this five-fold apostolic ministry over the ministries of, back then it was the Victory Network, now it's just us, where you've got Central Campus, Northwest Campus, the VC is the new Victory Center, Oosh. I've heard people go, well, Oosh is just a business. Could you please just wake up? <laughs> I know we service a thousand kids a week. What other church does that every week? Five days a week, a thousand children and 450 families. Yeah, but they pay to put their kids in there. But these are hurting families who need somebody to go beyond just a place where they can come and drop their kids off. And it is growing so much so that we're even now establishing chaplains for the Ush centers. We went from one Ush center to now five, which is incredible. It gives us doors in. There's a third campus to come. There's the extension service. There's other things that will happen. And Janet and myself, what this does, it lifts us above just getting locked down in one campus. So it means you're going to have to put up with me a bit more. I just got to help these guys and walk with them even closer and watch you become everything God has meant for you to be. And I can't do that if I'm locked down in one location. I've got to get higher than that. So secondly, what it'll do is this. It'll cause growth and influence to happen in our ministries, in our departments. Like I said to them, I want you to go seek God and get a, a faith thing in your heart, what God is saying for the next year. Guess who the first was to send me back a vision of the growth happening in their ministry? Jess Cowan. Yep. And so I said, look, you guys, go get this vision. And what it does, it, it, it causes them to rise up. You know, these extension services, campuses, ministries, they, they rise up with gifts and anointing and they get released. And thirdly, this effect lets them, generations, the descendants, enlarge the tent. And we're going to talk about that in weeks to come, the next three weeks. And we're going to share exciting news about that each week. But for today, what I want to do is talk to you about some of the staff who are changing roles, rising up to new things, and even new additions that will happen. And it is all about letting them stretch out the place of our tent. And number one, Pastor Geraldine Baker, Jez, as we know her, she is rising up as associate pastor over operations along with ministry and leadership. And that's so that everything is working well together. You know, I just remember, I think it was the first time they allowed the NBA players, the All-Stars, to play in the Olympics. Anybody remember what medal they got that year? No, they got bronze. Yeah. These multi-million dollar superstars could not beat, I think it was either the Greek or the Italian team. Couldn't beat them. Why? Because instead of being an All-Star team, they were a team of All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Which is true. And Jez's job will be making all of us work together as all-stars, as a team. Uh, pastor Karen Thorpe, who oversees Beyond, associate pastor over Beyond. Um, it, you go, well, she's done that all along. Yeah, but the difference now is she is overseeing Beyond for the whole of the city, all C3 churches in the city, for us to rise up and influence and grow together. One of the outworkings of that is for the first time, uh, we are now joining with the C3 church to make carols at the beach at Merriweather happen. There's 10,000 people come to that. And we're now doing that together to impact the community. And so it's just here and beyond. Uh, things like compassion, not just the carols here. And that's Pastor Karen's. And then there's Pastor Mel Ashley, um, who, you know, we ordained as a pastor in, in January. But what she is passionate about is this thing called GROW. For years, we've talked about uh, creating 
a, a thing that helps people to grow individually, that grows the church, that reaches into the city and makes disciples, actually activates people, not just making disciples, but make disciples who make disciples yeah, right. and do that, and leaders and everything. So she's with that. And then, of course, we've got Jess, your own homegrown Jess. You know, it's interesting, for years, uh, I guess at least three years now, the kids' ministry throughout our, our uh, campuses have operated as a team, and they've done a good job. But teams can lose their way without a leader, okay? Uh, it's good to have a team, but every team needs a leader, somebody who just steps in front and says, follow the way. And, uh, and so we've been praying about it, and Jess just sensed in her heart before God he's calling her to be the team leader over all of Victory Kids. So some Sundays when you go, where's Jess? Why isn't she here? She's probably at the other campus helping them. Because all of these jobs I just told you about are over everything, not just over Central or not just over Northwest. They're over the whole of Victory. We don't just want a good children's ministry here. We want a good children's ministry at Central and a good children's ministry at, at Extension Service and a good uh, children's ministry at a third campus one day. And uh, thank God Jess is going to do all that work. <laughs> no, she's got a good team. She's got a good team. But let me tell you also what Janet and I are really excited about along with them. You know, we watched this young couple come into our home in 2013 in, in what we call a D group. And when they first came into our home, the wife in particular was saying, well, he can do some ministry, but that's for him, not me. I'm just here with him. And she, she was saying that because she was scared. She grew up as a pastor's daughter. She saw her mom and dad sacrifice immensely to make, uh, you know, church work. So she was cautious and we just watched them over three or four years just incredibly blossom and watch God put his hand on them and anoint them and do amazing things through them and and it's only just beginning but we are happy to announce that they now are going to as of today they are now the new campus pastors of central okay it's Nate and Rach Welburn and they're yeah it's awesome and it frees me and Janet up to do the apostolic and mentoring. You know, it's interesting, leading up to this month, I had three requests from outside to mentor leaders. Just random calls. Call me up and say, would you, would you mentor us? We need a mentor. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like God putting his fingerprints on this going, look, this is right. You're meant to do this. You, I'm moving towards 40 years in ministry, believe it or not. And, uh, and God's saying... Everything you've learned over those 40 years, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you can now impart to new young leaders. Right. So your descendants will. Yeah. And this is what God is doing. Um, why don't we stand together? On the 24th, I think that's the last Sunday of this month when we're together. Yeah. We wanted to do it when we're together. We want to bring Jess up on the stage in front of both campuses and lay hands on her and just fully release anointing on her for this. That's why I'm kind of holding off today because I want to, I want to do it when we're all together uh, because then it'll be all of them and recognizing the anointing and the calling on her life for that because we did that with pastors Nate and Rach and Central before we uh, came over here. But on the, I think it's the 24th, isn't it? On the 24th, we're going to do that with Jess in front of everybody um, and because I'm telling you, the people at Central already have been blessed by and recognized that anointing on Jess and her family's amazing in that. Just release her and, and, and partner with her in that, which is great. 
I'm just waiting for Mark to get a bit more released because he's passionate about stuff too, isn't he? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.